0: Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Today we'll be reading from Luke 17, verses 1 through 4. And he said to his disciples, you must forgive him. Thank you, Addison. So in Genesis chapter four, there's, a, there's an account of, of two brothers. Um, you can read about it. Cain and Abel, we've heard of them. And Cain kills Abel, and then God comes to Cain, he asks him a question for which he, he already knew the answer. He said, "Where's your brother?" And to which the reply was, "Am I my brother's keeper?" And I want us to know, based off this passage, and I'll try to bring that together to make it make sense, but I want us to know, as we look at this passage today, that there's an emphatic yes to that question. You indeed are. So let's jump into this passage. It's only four verses today. But just a reminder, Jesus is very close to Jerusalem. He is close to the cross, as close as he's ever been. He knows it won't be long, and he knows he's going to be leaving these guys. And furthermore, after he leaves them, he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to be being taught. He knows what the Pharisees are going to do. He knows what's going to happen. So here's what he tells them. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, so... So so we can't be surprised. It was written down that it was going to happen. Been written down for centuries. They're not going to go anywhere because we live in a broken world. So don't be surprised in the future. Temptations are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. And he were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Here's what we know, church, Hill City Church, God is very serious. The God of the Bible is very serious about sin. So I want to put that out there. We don't want to pretend like our sin doesn't matter. But in light of this passage, today's passage, I want to to bring some seriousness to the fact that he... Is very serious, not just about sin, but he is very serious about any of us who cause someone else to sin. Like that's a big deal. He says, woe to that person. Now listen, that word woe, just we, we need to get our mind and our, and our head around it, right? That is a a groaning, a grieving, a a screaming of oh no, oh no. Like it hurts, a painful. Whoa, this is not some casual, oh, that'd be a shame if you did that. That's not the heart of Jesus here. It's a big deal. So big that he says, hey, it's better for that person if a millstone was tied around his neck and he was thrown into the lake. I have a picture here. If You, you can see uh, these things were massive pieces of, of round concrete that they used to, to crush grain. Okay, so we're not talking like a little brick. We're talking about something massive tied around your neck, thrown in the water. You have no chance. You're going straight to the bottom, and what a miserable, miserable death, right? Uh, may- maybe I'm the only one's a little bit scared of water here, but like, man, I don't. Want, I mean, I don't think a lot of ways I'd rather go. And Jesus is like, oh, it's it actually be better. That would be better than <laughs> if you caused one of these little ones. Little ones in that passage. He, he's talking about his followers. Everybody at this time was a new believer. He's just talking about believers. So what I want us to do this morning is may we take a healthy personal evaluation and just ask ourselves... Have I I caused someone to sin? Now let me do you a favor. I'm going to give you the answer, yes. Guilty. So I'm not telling you to take that evaluation and just be loaded down with shame. I'm just saying, yes, you've you've caused one to sin. Like, right, we've we've got people with boyfriends and girlfriends in here. I know what goes on on Saturday nights and Friday Like, Yes, you've caused someone to sin. What about parents? Parents, have we caused our kids to sin? Are we, are we teaching our kids things that just aren't true? Business partners, like, like, business people, have, have you caused a person you're doing business with to be dishonest? Like, listen, eventually we do this evaluation, we're guilty. And, and all I'm saying this morning, as we take this evaluation, I don't want, again, I don't want you to, to walk out of here full of shame. I want you to do this. I, just, I want you to confess it, and I want you to just repent from it. Because you do that, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what, that's, that's what I'm calling us to this morning in light of this passage. But I want to do a little bit more this morning with this passage. I I want you to take that evaluation. I want you to be bold enough to confess it, bold enough to repent from it. But I want us to look at this. I want to give you a strong warning about specific temptations that you may not recognize. There will be a temptation to wander from the gospel. And sadly, the people that will most likely cause you to do that are Bible teachers, or so-called Bible teachers. These are counterfeits, and they look good, they, they look right, they talk right, and man, they seem like they are there, but you've got to You've got to watch out. Because just like Jesus warns his disciples here in Luke thousands of years ago, I think we need the same warning. Today, I think the word of God does this. Second Corinthians chapter 11 says this. Paul said, man, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me for I feel divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. He's talking to the church Corinth. He said, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior of these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Paul say, saying, listen, there's, there are going to be people and they're going to deceive you and there's, it's going to be cunning and they're going to be super smooth with their speech and they will lead you away from the gospel. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Here's what I want to do today. I want us to make sure that we are certain of what the gospel or the good news of Jesus is. Like, let let today be a, like, we're coming, we're two, two, what are we, two Sundays, three Sundays away from Easter we, we, let us recenter, if we need to, on the gospel this morning. One thing I don't ever want to do here, because I know we have a lot of new people, but even the people that have been here for a while, one thing that and Daniel and I talk about, Michael, we never want to assume at Hill City that you understand or know the gospel. It would be, it'd be, it'd be bad for us to assume that. We certainly don't ever want to move on from the gospel And I just want you to know that culturally the gospel is being corrupted on many sides. And it's being done in a subtle fashion. So can I give you some just common thought patterns? Maybe some common things in teaching that you need to probably be very suspicious of. Can I do that this morning? Okay, don't answer me because I'm going to do it anyway. Just give you three or four. Here's the first one. Ambiguous teaching that promotes a man more than Jesus. we got to be careful of that. What do I mean by that? Any kind of teaching that's a promotion of me placing my hope in something other than Jesus. Typically that manifests itself in that I place my hope in me. And what I can do. And that's not the gospel. Can, can I just give you some phrases that you might hear coming out of some of these camps? Phrases like, "You're on the, you're on the verge of achieving your dreams." Phrases like, "You can speak things into existence." Let's called a name it and claim it." Phrases like, your destiny is calling out to you, go get it. Phrases like, you need to feel good about who you are. Those sound good, but they're just not the gospel. An incorrect belief coming out of one of these camps might be, well, if I'm, if I'm just better today than I was yesterday, then God is proud of me. And that makes for a great country song, it's just not the gospel. So be careful of ambiguous teachings that promote man and what man can do and what man should go after That doesn't promote Jesus. Here's another teaching teaching that says that the gospel saves you from suffering or from temporary suffering. Now, ultimately, yes, it's going to save you from ultimate suffering, but this is coming out of what's called the prosperity gospel or the prosperity anti gospel that says you no longer have to suffer from worldly tragedies or calamities such as poverty, sickness, and disease. And then further, demonic teaching from this camp is that if you are suffering from any of those, it's because you don't have strong enough faith. Now these teachers usually draw you in with questions around disease and sickness and poverty. And one question would be, like, what father would want that for his kids? It sounds logical, but it's not the gospel. Third, it's another third thing I would caution you to be Studied up on, maybe it'd be a, more, a better word to put it. Careful of is teaching about the Holy Spirit's work that's beyond teaching us and pointing us to Jesus. This is a camp that puts a ton of emphasis on like signs and wonders. And miracles, these are the people who would say that you aren't truly saved unless you have spoken in tongues or used some different prayer language. So part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that the creator God of this world does understand English. And you can pray to him in English and he knows every word of it. Like You don't have to have a special prayer language. Now listen, we're not cessationists here in this church. I won't have time to dive into that right now. But without question, the Bible puts very specific boundaries and parameters around what speaking in tongues should look like. And I can just confidently tell you from Scripture that you can be saved. You can be a born-again child of God and never do that. I want, listen, the, the Holy Spirit, let's talk about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is God. He's as much God as God the Father, He's as much God as God the Son, so I'm not making the Holy Spirit under this red-headed step God, right? Like, He matters, but He has a specific role, and we can go to Scripture to learn exactly what He is to do. John 16, verse 14, 15 gives us an idea. This isn't the only place in Scripture, but it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth. But check this out. He's not going to speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen, here we go. And this is is Jesus. He will glorify me, is what Jesus says. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So I'm just saying be careful in the camps that are just totally honed in on the Holy Spirit's work and you don't ever hear a whole lot about Jesus. I'm just saying be careful. Other roles of the Holy Spirit. Without question, the Holy Spirit indwells believers. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit moves in. He takes up residence. He indwells believers, all of them, right then. The Holy Spirit's job also, another role of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. When you are truly a believer, you will be convicted of your sin. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit will cause you to see truth. The Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit produces fruit of the Spirit. Another thing I would caution you to be very careful of is a gospel that does not originate and come from scripture alone, sola scriptura. See, many people are teaching that scripture is inefficient, that scripture is imperfect. That it cannot give us what we need to teach the knowledge and the grace of God that we have to have more. Now, if you're a covenant member of this church, let me remind you that we have covenanted to submit to the authority of scriptures as the final authority on all issues. See, in this camp, this is where we we get our works-based salvation from. This might be where we get the the teaching that you can lose your salvation. This is where we get ideas like purgatory. And I just want you to be careful because much of that teaching is called, it's extra-biblical. It's teaching that comes outside of Scripture. Right, And, and you, you got to be careful because some people will stand on stage and they'll teach and they'll say, i got, I got a revelation from God. i got a word from God. He spoke to me that I have to tell you. And I'm not going to tell you they don't. All I'm saying is this. You better be able to go to the Bible and tell me the exact same thing because that's the finished revelation of God. And that's what we are going to be as true and as faithful to as we possibly can at Hill City Church. We cannot wander from a true biblical gospel. So what is it? Part of me kind of (laughs) hopes that you guys are like, again? (laughs) Like we're going to do this again? Because if you're not there, maybe we're not. Preaching it enough. The gospel is this that God created everything for His glory, and it was good and it was perfect. And mankind was in a perfect, right relationship with a perfect and holy God. But then we, mankind, that's you and me and every human being that's been born after uh, Adam and Eve sinned, we sinned against a perfect, righteous, and holy God. And here's how we did it. We were deceived into thinking that we could be God. So we disobeyed God. And that perfect creation, that perfect right relationship, it was fractured. And that sin that fractured that relationship, it had to be paid for. Because God, who created everything, He is perfect. And He is loving and He is holy, but He is also just. And there's no possible way that you and I could be brought back into a right relationship with this perfect and holy God without a payment for that sin. That would be unjust. Now, the problem for us is that the payment that was required for that sin was impossible for us to pay. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We were essentially dead in the water. We were dead people walking, the Bible says as much, check out Ephesians chapter 2, if you're new to this church, we read this passage all the time, okay, and you, that's you and me, we're dead, any questions? Dead in our trespasses and sins in which we walk, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passage of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we, you and I, were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind, like every human that's ever been born. That's the situation we find ourselves in because of sin. The gospel is this, that God is about his glory. And because he loved us so much, he had a plan for this sin all along. Make no mistake, God was never caught off guard by sin. He was never surprised by sin. he never, ever lost control when sin entered the world. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And what he did was he came to us. Like we don't get to him without him coming to us first. And he came to us. He came to us in the form of his son who was born of a virgin. We believe that here. He lived a perfect life. We believe that here. He was betrayed by his own, and then he was killed on a bloody cross. And I want us to make sure that, the, that we don't mistake this in the gospel. Listen, it's not that Jesus was murdered. John 10, starting in verse 17, goes to 18. Jesus says this, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus never lost control when sin entered the world. He did not lose control ever, even in the middle of the bloodiest crucifixion you can imagine. So Jesus goes to a cross, and on a cross, God poured out his wrath on his son. And let me be very clear, it pleased God to do it. because he's just and it's exactly what should have happened to us Jesus the son of God he took our place he drank the cup of God's wrath 100% of it and then he was buried in the ground now listen we, we can do that up to here we're pretty good like, that's believable, right? Like, a lot of people have lived good lives, as, as we might define them, and then died for a cause. Yes? Right? A lot of people have done that. Now, th- this is where it, it gets unbelievable. So, so, he was buried and was there for three days. We don't have to go into what happens to dead things three days in three days. But he came back to life. And in doing this, he, he conquered death, he conquered sin, he conquered Satan. And in doing this, he solidified that he was exactly who he said he was. God. That's what he said. And in his death on the cross and in raising from the dead, he actually made a way for us to get back to God. Now, a better way I could word that is this. He made the way. Like, he is the way. He's not a way. Hill City Church, visitors, let me just boil it down. Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen by many witnesses. And all this happened according to scriptures. And that is the gospel. And this truth demands a response. And the only response is to believe this by faith. So faith and repentance. It's the only appropriate Response. The Bible says, "If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He said He was, that you are in the Word, the word we use is justified. Right? You are declared innocent before a perfect, holy, and just God. Some theologians say this is the most important doctrine in true biblical Christianity: is justification by faith in Christ." Alone. Faith alone. But here's what we do we try to make up formulas. Right? Like this faith alone is not a good formula that sits well in our hearts. So so we we think, no, 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 it's 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 Jesus plus something. Then then there's salvation. Like, like it's Jesus plus I got to do some good works, right? It's Jesus plus going to church. That's salvation. It's Jesus plus some like old religious traditions, surely. Like that's what that was. That's what was happening in Acts chapter fifteen. Like it's Jesus plus this other prayer language I got to have, that that will. Save me. It's Jesus plus the sacraments. That'll save me. That's salvation. See, we like these formulas. And then we even get really like, like clever and making some that actually sound really good. It's like Jesus plus obedience equals salvation. That seems like we might be onto to something, but it's not the gospel. None of these that I just mentioned, are the gospel. I'm going to give you two formulas. I think both of them are correct, but one is more complete than the other. Jesus plus nothing is salvation. Now, here's a more complete one. Jesus plus nothing is salvation and obedience. Right? If, if there's not obedience ever, I don't know that salvation happened, which means I don't know that Jesus happened. Now, obedience doesn't save you. Jesus plus nothing. But man, that does not make sense to us, does it? Just doesn't make sense to us. Like we, have, we we work for things to earn things in our society. Right? Like we earn, we start early too. Like we work, we earn our grades. Like we earn our spots on a sports team. We earn sports success. We earn a chair in the band, first, second, third chair. Like we we work hard, we practice, we earn it, we earn a wage. We live in a work for it and earn it. Society, and here's the deal when we work for and earn it, we feel really good about it. Let's go back to verse 1 in light of that. Temptations to sin are sure to come. See, we will wonder, we will wonder away from a true gospel, back into this mentality that we can earn this. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Anybody? Hill City Church, don't ever wander from the gospel. Don't, Leave the gospel for some mystical nonsense. And it's it's a lot, it, it can be a lot cooler. Like that mystical stuff can be a lot cooler. Like you can go to churches where they have like gold sparklies falling from the sky and angel feathers. And it's mystical and it's not the gospel. Look at verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. You got to listen, this stuff is so subtle. Pay attention to yourselves, it matters. But don't just pay attention to yourselves. Hear me, Hill City Church, pay attention to each other. your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Listen, can I say this? If your brother wanders from the gospel, rebuke him. And we, don't even, we don't like that word. Rebuke and repent, those kind of words that don't just really sit, sit well in our like evil hearts. But rebuke is good. Rebuke is loving. Hill City Church, if you say that you have close friends, and none of them have ever had to have any sort of corrective discussion with you about a gospel drift or even just sin in your life, I'm concerned about what you would call friendship. And culturally, here's where we are. It, listen, we got we have to be honest here. Here's where we are culturally, right? We we are so sensitive. Like we are outraged like that. How? How dare anyone tell me? We're outraged. Man, proper rebuke, biblical rebuke, that's something that's done in love that we should receive well. And listen, I know it's, it might seem unkind at first. And here, here's kind of a thing that's pretty popular in our society right now, this. It kind of grosses me out. Let me try to channel, like, my inner valley girl or whatever. But, like, I just don't need the negativity in my life. Right? If somebody tells us something we don't like, and that's actually being counseled. Now, listen, I, I kind of get what some of it means, but just because someone disagrees or if someone comes to you, don't assume that it's just negativity. Furthermore, imagine if that was Jesus' attitude. Is that, a, is that a gospel response? negativity out of my life. Like imagine Jesus retreating to go pray to the Father. He's like, Father, there's too much negativity around me. I need you to, I need to get rid of it. The cross would have never happened. (laughs) Like he, he would have never hung out with his disciples. We need people close to us to tell us when we are getting off track. We need people close to us to tell us, man, you are drifting from a true biblical gospel. And it is the grace of God when someone in your life says that to you. Let's finish up with verse 4. Now we're going to start talking about forgiveness. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns... To you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That's the life of a believer. Forgive, 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 forgive. You know why you have to do that? Because the gospel demands it. Because that's what Jesus does with you. So God, here we are. We're here as a a first gathering of this little church in Springfield, Missouri. God, here's my prayer this morning. My prayer is that no one in this room will be deceived into believing a gospel that isn't yours God when we wander when we wander from that gospel bring us back In Jesus name I pray amen So we're going to come to the table. And this isn't something that's going to make God proud of us. This isn't something we do because we are good. Some of the best news you're ever going to hear in your life is that you are not good, but that God is. Because when you start believing that you're good, you kind of have only two endings to those, that, 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 that sort of thought process. So it's either pride. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Or shame, because eventually you're going to find out I'm not very good, and I thought I was. So what a relief, what a weight off our shoulders to know, man, we're not good, but God is. That's what we're coming to the table to recognize. We're we're going to rehearse the gospel. He showed us how good he was by making the way.